Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. We'll start there this evening. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to start reading from in verse 20. It says, My son, attend to my words. The word attend means to hearken unto. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. Why do we want to do that? Verse 22, for they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, um, the Bible talks about, identifies for us that these elements, inclining your ear, attending to his sayings, inclining your ear to the word of God, keeping them in the midst of your heart and not letting them depart from your eyes, these are all characteristics or elements whichever way you want to say it whichever way would be most appropriate to say of what the bible identifies as the fear of the lord and there's a lot of promises made to those that fear the lord it says those that fear the lord shall be uh, shown god's mercy it says those that fear the lord shall be attended to by the word or by the lord that there's no good thing that god will withhold to them that fear him there's a lot of promises concerning the fear of the Lord. And remember, Jesus said, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So if we take this apart, my son attended to my words, put the word first place, in other words, in your life, hearken unto it, in spite of the other information that we're receiving from whatever source it may be, inclining our ear unto his sayings, listening to the word first and foremost, not letting them depart from before thine eyes, that has reference to, or it's, uh, the, the meaning refers to, seeing yourself with what the Bible says is yours. You know, every word that we hear, that we give attention to, creates a mental image on the inside of us. It's the way God made us to work. When we read the word, when we see what God has to say about us or to us, it creates a mental picture, a vision on the inside of us. That's what it's talking about. It says, let not the word depart from before your eyes. Now, the implication is there are going to be other things that try to squeeze that vision out, replace that vision with something else. And that's the reason the devil speaks words to our mind. He's trying to create his pictures in our mind or in our thinking. And it's up to us what we see. Paul talked about looking at things that are not seen. He talked about the operation of faith as being a relevant part of it as being what you see on the inside, looking into the things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. The Bible talks about Abraham's example of faith in Romans chapter 4. He said he looked not at his own body now dead, or considered not his own body now dead. That has to do, the word considered has to do with the look, the intensity of the gaze or the look. He looked not to his own body that was 100 years old and dead when it came to uh, reproductive functions, but instead he looked unto the promise of God. He chose to see the picture that the word of God painted for him. Now, folks, if Jesus told us the truth, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. If the word is forever settled in the unseen, unchanging realm, then if we put the word of God first place in our hearts, put it first place in our lives, then the outcome of our situation is certain. There's no guesswork to it at all. A lot of people think that faith is a step out into the dark. But the Bible says the entrance of God's word gives light and that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Stepping out in faith is a step into the light, not into darkness. It's not a step out into the unknown because the word tells you what the end result will be. 
Now, you may not know how that end result can come or will appear. We may not know the process by which the word of God will become a reality in our lives. But if the word of God is true, and it tells us over and over again it is, if the word of God is true, then your outcome and my outcome is assured. It's certain. Our victory is assured. Can you say amen? My son attended to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. Now that phrase, keep them in the midst of your heart, is interesting. Because anytime the Bible talks about keeping something, the implication or the inference is that something's going to try to drag it away. Something's going to try to take it from you. So what does it mean to keep your heart or keep the word of God in the midst of your heart? Well, remember over in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, God's telling Joshua, who's taking over as the leader of the children of Israel in Moses' place, tough job to fill. The people have seen Moses lead them through the Red Sea on dry land. They've seen the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They've seen Moses stand before the glory of God for 40 days in the mountain and come down and his face shines. Joshua's got a pretty hard job to, to, to do. Moses is a pretty tough act to follow. But God told Joshua the key to success. Now, if God is unchanging and God is truth and only truth, then Joshua's means of success would be your means of success and mine too. So he said in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, this book of the law, which was all the word of God they had at the time, we're talking about the word in, in general and not just the law of Moses. So let's substitute this word of God shall not depart from before you shall not depart from your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written there and for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then you'll have good success. He told Joshua, don't stop speaking the word. And he identifies that as meditating in the word. He identifies that as the definition for meditating in the word. Now, I know Eastern religions have forms of meditation where they're, from what I understand, I guess the idea is that you're to empty your mind and just get quiet. But meditating in the word is not emptying your mind of anything. Meditating in the word is filling your mind with what the truth of the word of God says. It's not emptying your mind. It's not coming to a place of serenity. It's coming to faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It's planning God's pictures and the images that God's word portrays concerning you and concerning your situation. First and foremost in your mind. That's what the Bible identifies as meditating. Now that would have to be the same thing that Jesus is talking about. In Mark chapter 11 verse 23 where he says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Here's the condition. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Each of these is talking about something of the heart. It's talking about a function of the heart. Something that we are instructed, recommended to do regarding the word of God. To bring that certain outcome that the word of God gives us or promises. So where it says keep them in the midst of your heart. It's talking about speaking the word. It has to be. It's talking about speaking the word. Now here's the benefit. Here's the payoff in verse 22. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Notice verse 23. We usually stop with verse 22, but concerning this 
uh, instruction concerning our heart, which is the spirit of man. Notice verse 23. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to be diligent. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it, out of your spirit, the innermost part of man, the part of man that's born again. For out of it, your heart, your spirit, flow the issues of life. This word issues is the word force or power. It's saying the power of God comes from your spirit when we choose to put God's word first and foremost. The power of God is, comes from your spirit. Now, the Bible tells us also in Proverbs, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So that would fit with that, wouldn't it? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue, your voice, what you give your attention to and what you choose to speak is your spirit exercising spiritual force. If we speak the word of God that's full of life and power, then we're bringing the word of God to, to bear on any scene or any circumstance or any situation we face. Everybody knows the story of Jonah, how that Jonah was instructed of the Lord to go to the Assyrian capital called Nineveh, named Nineveh, tell the people to repent because destruction was coming in a very short period of time. Well, Jonah didn't want them to avoid the destruction. He thought they deserved whatever came upon them, so he wouldn't go. He went the other direction. And you remember he got on a ship, and once they got out to sea, a storm arose, and it was uh, something supernatural, apparently. It was such that the, that the uh, seamen recognized that this is not a normal thing, and so they all started checking around trying to figure out what, which God have we angered that has caused this? And they finally come to Jonah, and Jonah says, yeah, it's my fault. He says, I'm running from God, which never works for anybody. It just wastes time. So he said, yeah, it's me. It's my problem. It's my fault, rather. He said, I'm running from God. The only way you can be saved is throw me overboard. Well, if God cared enough about somebody to stir up trouble like the storm... Because they disobeyed him, they hesitated on that. And finally, he had to talk them into it. It's the only chance. Throw me over. So they did. And the Bible says that God prepared a great fish that swallowed him up. Now, this story of Jonah is, uh, is fascinating to me. Because it gives us instruction concerning Jonah's attitude. And it shows us. What kind of guy he really was. Now when he runs from God. We can make a lot of excuses. Or make a lot of um, guesses. Assumptions about him. For what kind of person he would be. To, to disobey God and so forth. But once he gets in the belly of this fish. He turns out to be some kind of person. Let's start reading in, John, in Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord. Out of the fish's belly. And said, I cried by reason of my infliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and, heardest, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows, or breakers, the waves of God, and the waves passed over me. And I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. 
I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The, the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought me up or brought up my life from corruption. O Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee, unto thy holy temple. Now, there's some things that, uh, that the King James English doesn't really bring out about what he said concerning his condition. But in the original Hebrew, it paints a picture of something that was happening uh, or that he was speaking to that was not altogether happening to him. There are certain of these verses, several of them, in fact, that he's speaking prophetically about Jesus after he gave his life for us as a sacrifice for us and spent three days and nights in the belly of the, the, the heart of the earth. It speaks to certain things about it that, uh, that refer to Jesus going down to the foundations of the mountain and so forth, being in the heart of the earth. If you compare this with Psalm 88, it, it confirms even more what, um, what price, a little bit of the price that Jesus paid after he gave his life and died physically on the cross. But now, stop and think about this thing. I, I, I know in uh, growing up in Sunday school, you'd see the picture Bibles and the storybooks and stuff like that about how Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Um, I guess as a kid, I related this to the story of Pinocchio. Anybody remember the story of Pinocchio? How that he gets swallowed by Monstro, the whale? Well, the, the, the image, once he's in the belly of the whale, is that he strikes a match, and this thing looks like an empty warehouse. You know, the inside of the whale looks like an empty warehouse. But folks, I've done some, a little bit of research to try to figure out what was Jonah experiencing. One of the biggest, if not the biggest, mammals in the sea is the humpback whale. And the biggest one that they've measured out is 89 feet. Now, of that 89 feet, a real small percentage of it is stomach. That particular type of whale doesn't have any teeth. And so he swallows and, and feeds on small fish. Now, I'm just guessing that Jonah was not chewed up by the fish that ate him. That's just a guess, but I think it's a pretty good one. Wouldn't you agree? It wouldn't make sense for him to be chewed up and then swallowed by a fish. But Jonah, to the biggest thing that we can relate to, known in the sea. Jonah is not sitting there in a room as big as your living room. He's not sitting in some wide open place. At the very least, he is scrunched up with hardly any room to move whatsoever. If you're claustrophobic, you don't even want to think about that situation. And that's where Jonah starts praying. That's where Jonah shows that he has a knowledge and a confidence in the mercy of God to such a degree that it brings him to victory. Now, I don't know about you, but when I imagine Jonah cramped up in a whale's stomach or a fish stomach, whatever it might be, whatever the situation might be, when I think about the nastiness of that circumstance that he was in, to see what some of the things he said and how he turned to God just amazes me. It's his fault. He can't blame this on the devil. He can't say, oh, Lord, look how the devil's after me. 
He's the one that ran from God. He got himself in his own in his in his own situation. He's the reason that he's where he is. But he calls out for the mercy of God. He calls out for deliverance. Notice the uh, let me see which verse it is. Notice this eighth verse. Jonah speaks of the circumstances that he's in, in the belly of the fish. He said, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Now think about what kind of guy this is. Think about what he must know and the confidence that he must have in his knowledge of God to say that being in the belly of the fish is a lying vanity. He doesn't blame himself. He doesn't say, well, I deserve this. I don't like it, but I deserve it, so I guess I'll die in this fish's stomach. He calls out for deliverance. He calls upon the mercy of God to forgive him and then to set him free. And he says something that applies and works in every situation where it comes to faith and the operation of faith. And again, it fascinates me. I'm, I'm amazed at Jonah. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. He knows that the key to his victory, the certainty of his deliverance, he knows that it comes down to one and only one thing, and that is trusting in the promise of God. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. But notice what he does instead. Next verse. He said, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So when he started praising God in the midst of his trouble, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of your heart, out of your spirit, your innermost being, flow the issues of life. When he began to praise God in the middle of the situation, the Lord spoke unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Jonah's means of deliverance was to be vomited out. I'm sure that created quite uh, an entrance to the city of Nineveh. I wonder what kind of effect it had on Jonah however long he was in the middle of that fish with the digestive juices and all the other kind of stuff that he was having to deal with when the fish was, we assume, the internal workings of the fish was digesting him or attempting to digest Jonah just like it would any other means of food that the fish ate and swallowed. But notice what Jonah did. Jonah recognized that the circumstance that he was in, even though it was his fault, even though it looked like there's no way out, he recognized that the circumstance was a lying vanity because God's word promises victory and deliverance and mercy to those that put him first in every area and every respect. I've got a lot of respect for Jonah. Not the running part, but what he did when he found himself in the middle of the belly of the fish. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Now, if we take that as a principle, and I believe it can be applied this way, if we take that and accept that as a principle, that means any means of hindrance, sickness or disease would be included in this. Any means of 
any part of the work of the devil that contradicts what God's word says belongs to us would be included as a lying vanity. A lying vanity. If it disputes God's word, if it contradicts God's word, it's a lie because God's word is truth. Well, it helps us understand how the devil works then, doesn't it? He wants you to see things, anything, everything, other than what God's word says about you. He wants you to see yourself sick instead of well. He wants you to see yourself defeated instead of victorious. He wants you to see yourself full of lack and want instead of prosperous and abundantly provided for. And he's working overtime to get those pictures to stick for you and for me. Jonah called those things lying vanities. And notice what he connects it to. He said, they that observe lying vanities, those that look at the devil's pictures, the pictures he tries to deposit on the inside of us, in our minds rather. Those that look at those pictures, forsake, give up, turn their back on, turn away from the mercy of God that's always certain, always victorious, and always puts us over. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Brother Hagin told a story of this church he was ministering at, and there was a guy that, uh, that he knew from prior acquaintance, and he was trying to get a hold of Brother Hagin, trying to get him to, to spend some time with him while he was there for the meeting. And, uh, and Brother Hagin, after the service was over, didn't have time to talk to the guy, and so finally he arranged for them to meet early he'd come in early to the church service before the thing began and they'd meet for a little while then and this guy i believe he had been a minister i don't know if he was still in ministry at that time but he had been a minister well i do remember the story he had been a minister and got out of the ministry and he had um, several businesses and was uh, a great blessing to the church that he was in which was the church brother hagan was preaching for and so he he started he got met with this guy and the guy was uh, talking to him and and, uh, and Brother Hagin said that after a while he had talked himself out of God's will for him to be well. He had talked Brother Hagin out of the, the idea that God would heal him. And Brother Hagin even said that I believe he had talked God out of the notion. He was just complaining about everything and everything that he had done and telling what a mess he had made of his life and how he had missed it and so forth. Well... Brother Hagin did not understand what had happened earlier in the day when the Lord had spoken to him until he met with this guy. But Brother Hagin said that while he was shaving, getting ready for the service and getting tying his tie and all that kind of stuff, he said the Lord asked him a question. He said, would I ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself? He said, I let it get by me the first time. And the second time, I recognized that it was Lord, the Lord questioning me about something. But he said, I didn't really stop and take the time to consider it. But the third time that the Lord asked him the question, would you expect me to require something of you that I wouldn't do myself? He stopped what he was doing and he said, no, Lord, of course not. You'd never expect that of somebody. You would never ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't do. And then the Lord brought to his remembrance. He said, you remember when Peter asked me how often should I forgive? Peter said, seven times. And the Lord answered and said, no, seven times 70. 
times is the number that you should forgive. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, and that was all in one day. Well, when he started talking to this guy and heard this guy's story and uh, saw how pessimistic he was and and the, the level of his unbelief because of his own mistakes and all that kind of stuff, Brother Hagin said, then I understood what the Lord was talking to me about and why. So I began to talk to him about the Lord's mercy to forgive. He didn't tell him, no, you're not guilty of these things. He told him the Lord's mercy is greater than your failures. And after a period of time, by just showing him the word, after, you know, it just took him maybe 20 minutes or so in talking to him and reminding him of what the Bible says about God's goodness to forgive and his goodness to heal. He got the guy back over in the place where he could receive, and he did receive and was instantly healed. Thank God for his mercy. James 5, that speaks of how healing should operate in the church, it says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. It doesn't say, and if he's, forgiven, if he's committed sins, except the big ones, they shall be forgiven him. James says, on behalf of the Lord, inspired by the Holy Ghost, that if sin is ever the issue, sometimes it is, not often, but sometimes. If sin is the issue, that doesn't hinder God's willingness or the procurement of his power to bring healing to your physical body. That's not what the devil tells us, though, is it? devil tells us how we've messed up wants us to focus on how we've messed up to such a degree that we think that God could not or would not be willing to honor his word on our behalf but folks if we attend to his words if we incline our ear unto his sayings if we let the word of God not depart from before our eyes if we keep the word of God in the midst of our heart Again, that's by saying it over and over again, confessing the word. That word becomes life to, our, to us who find it. And it becomes health or medicine to all of our flesh. It becomes health or medicine to all of our flesh. It doesn't matter what's wrong with your body. It doesn't matter if it's on the molecular level, cellular level, or just skin deep. It's the word of God is health to all your flesh. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, my situation is different because my cells aren't functioning in the way that they need to. You put the word of God first, they will. It's health to all your flesh. Whether it's your brain, your hand, your foot, your internal organs, it's health to all your flesh. It's health to all your flesh. Again, Jesus said, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's settled in heaven. As far as God's concerned, it's a done, done deal. It's a finished work. Jesus already paid the price for your sickness and your disease, just like he did for mine. Therefore, if the word counts for anything, then our outcome is certain. It's assured. Victory is guaranteed. 
The devil's not big enough to overcome the word, folks. He's just not. He's not strong enough. He doesn't have the power to overcome the truth of God's word. So keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Out of your spirit, through the words of your mouth, the power of God is brought to bear so that you and I can walk in healing, so that we can be restored in every way. My son, attend to my words. God gave us a guaranteed, a surefire method to walk in health every time. How long is it going to take, Pastor Mike? I don't know. But I'm going to attend to his words until it's life to all my flesh. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Your word is more precious than gold to us, Lord. It's more sure than the the world we see around us. It's more certain than anything that we have experience with. Lord, we thank you that your word is settled in heaven. And we choose to see that which the word of God portrays. We choose to see ourselves well because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we were healed. So we see ourselves healed and we call ourselves well. We call our bodies well in the name of Jesus. We say that our bodies are healed of every sickness and every disease. We say that sickness has to go in every respect. Every trace of every symptom must leave our bodies by the authority in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that the life of God permeates every cell of our being, every fiber of our body. And we thank you that the life of God, which saturates every part of our body, internally and externally, seen or unseen, we thank you that that life brings our body back to operating in the manner in which it was created to function. We thank you, Lord, for raising us up. We thank you for watching over your word to perform it for each and every one of us. We thank you, Father, that because we're walking in the light, there's continual forgiveness and mercy upon us. We thank you, Lord, for making good your word in each and every one of us, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank God for the healing work that's taking place in each one of us. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Before we go, why don't we lift our hands and thank God for his goodness. Hallelujah. Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you that your word is settled forever in heaven. It's settled forever for us because we attend to it. We incline our ear to your sayings. We let them not depart from before our eyes and we keep them through the words of our mouth. We keep them in the midst of our heart. And they are life unto us and their health to all of our flesh. We choose, Father, to keep our hearts with all diligence to let only those things which your word declares come forth from our lips for out of our mouths 
from our spirits flow the issues of life and the power of God to heal. Thank you, Lord, for making it so. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for being with us. We love you. We're standing in agreement with you for your healing. Amen? Amen. God bless you.